Hello, this is Daryl here, sending love as always. Thank you for tuning in. I just want to say, if you like this interview, you can check our website for companion workbooks, action guides, tools, checklists, templates, and show notes with links for everything mentioned on the call. Just visit bestbusinesscoach.ca. That's best, B-E-S-T, businesscoach.ca. Enjoy. Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us. My name is Daryl Urbanski, your host as always. And today we are joined by Lisa Perez, founder of National Management Training Week and HBL Resources, Inc., author of The Complete Manager Makeover. Lisa shows business owners and managers HR compliance and employee relations strategies to reduce risk, increase employee retention, and improve business performance. Lisa brings 30 years of HR experience and serves as a trusted advisor and consultant to small and large organizations. I've asked her to join us here today to help us do better managing our teams and helping our people grow. So Lisa, thank you so much for joining us today. How are you? I'm doing great. It's an actual honor to be here. I'm really excited that you invited me. So thank you for that. I'm doing good. I'm good. I'm ready. Let's do this. Let's do it. Yeah, we've been having a lot of fun before we hit record. Appreciate yeah. all of you tuning in to listen. Now, Lisa, before we hop into the nuts and bolts of management and that, how did you even get into business? Do you come from an entrepreneurial family? Were your parents entrepreneurs? Interestingly enough, yes. I knew at the age of eight, Daryl, that I was going to be a business owner. I didn't know what? what the form that would take. I did. I kid you not. My dad was, I was born and raised in Brooklyn. My dad was a glacier, which means anything having to do with windows and glass and mirror ah. and things. And he owned a business. He owned a glass shop there in Brooklyn. And I remember being about eight, coming home from school and being able to pick up the phone one day <laughs> for him. And he taught me how to answer the phone. And I thought that very day, I'm going to be a business owner one day. And it took all sorts of shapes throughout the years, Amway and the creative memories and scrapbooking businesses and all the things. And I didn't know it, that just wasn't the passion. And I figured, you know what, with these, at that point, 21 years of experience in HR, why not do what I love and get paid for it? So uh, about 12 years ago in August, I launched and really found that niche that was getting ready to be launched through all of those other opportunities that gave me some entrepreneurial skills, learning processes and things of that nature. Yeah, I, I've always known it. Can we talk about some of those? What were some of your early, like you said, the early experiences or even some of the challenges you faced? Because obviously yeah. you didn't wake up and like, hey, I'm great at HR, let's do this. Like what were some of the, yeah. the obstacles that you faced and skills that you had to learn? Yo, the entrepreneur piece, right? Like I mentioned, I had even in right out of high school, I was a young mom and I launched my first business called Type Right. T-Y-P-E-R-I-G-H-T. And I'd type term papers for the colleges in the area there in Brooklyn and resumes and things of that nature. And you can't get rich <laughs> on, on term papers that much at that time. Um, but Fast forward, it was the entrepreneurial skills. Mm -hmm. I've always believed that I needed to be top of game, certified, two national certifications. So I knew HR, but it was the entrepreneurial skills that I didn't, you know, have. And when I launched my firm, in fact, the first time under a different name back in 1999, it actually stayed around for about two years. But mm -hmm. what tripped me up was the entrepreneurial skill, right? Mm -hmm. The fact that I needed to have the sales, the marketing, now, right, the CRM systems, how do I create this business machine 
and be the one that wears that hat too, in addition mm-hmm. to the HRP. So uh, I think that's when I got involved in Amway. Uh, it just crossed my desk and I was like, this sounds interesting. This looks interesting. And in fact, one of the products that they had at the time was aligned with human resources. It was like this gift and album program and you give it to the employee and they can pick whatever they want. So it was an employee relations thing Uh there. But the training that I received in entrepreneurial skills, the cold calling, the sales conversations, and just all of that stuff came as a result of that. And of course, a lot of other opportunities that I had to educate myself in those missing links. And I'm at it now 12 years now. So I, I think I got some of those skills right. Yeah. Still always learning and growing and adding new skill sets because the world changes so fast. Who knew that I'd have to do web developing at some point until such time as I could be able to gift that job to someone else. I think as a mom, you said mom of three? Yeah, three born to me, five all together. We're a blended family. You learn to adapt. You learn to, yeah, you learn to wear a lot of hats, right? You have to, you have to. And you have to know when you don't know. And that's not easy for some people. They want to think that they can do it all. I know I did at some point. No, I can do this and this. And I did want to learn it enough to know what I'm delegating, but then be able to feel comfortable enough to delegate it. And no, I don't know this. It was not easy to put my company on the shelf back in 1999 to, it was about 2001, but I always kept it on the shelf, looking at it at the shelf and saying, I'm going to take you off that shelf one day. And when I do, it's on. And I'm fortunate enough that that so far I've succeeded in doing that. And I think that's really commendable, especially because I have a child. And I have a friend that just had a baby and I had to tell him his name's Ostop. I said, Ostop, <laughs> time management is going to take a whole new meaning yeah. for yeah. you. All your days, you usually wake up. I have 24 hours of the unmanufactured tissue of the universe <laughs> to myself. Yeah, that's exactly. all over. That's all over. Exactly. That's it. That's it. Exactly. Most and that's that, a piece. Yeah. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, no, you're good. You're good. You're good. But so well, yeah. you really seem to you're like You're so that. right. That's the piece to right time management. Now, fast forward to about 12 years ago when I launched this one, it was like, oh, two years in, the sales and the revenue isn't increasing like I'd expected and hoped it to. I'm putting all these tools in place that I'd learned and what have you. When you're working from home, right? And that's where I am. I'm home office right now because most of my clients, they have offices and I do my thing there when I need to. But most of my work is done here. It's remote. And I've been remote since way before any of the world yeah, had too. to go remote. Me, me too. And, yeah. uh, and managing the time was another learning curve. I've always been good with time management, but now at home time management was much different, right? I couldn't have my kids just knocking at the door at random moments in the day because it would break my concentration. I forgot the fact that, you know what? I can't do the dishes and the laundry in the morning and show up at work at 10 or 11. That doesn't make an effective work day. My quote unquote office hours and really train my family to say, when the door is closed, when you hear me on a call, you can't just pop in. Mom's yeah. not available. Yeah. Mom's yeah. at work, right? So that took some training and effort. I've got a hanging sign on there that says, Shh, <laughs> you do not enter so that they know, okay, this is the opportunity. And if I have my door wide open, then guess what? I'm doing maybe organizing or yeah. business card scanning or something that can allow for those interruptions. So it's managing that day from that perspective as well. Yeah. You know? And I think that helps as a parent because sometimes you might be afraid, but what do I always say? If someone always has a crutch, they never learn to walk on their own. And so, like you mentioned, like the laundry that like, hey, kids, I, we have a rule in my house, at least you have to participate in your own survival. Like 
Everybody Thanks. here needs to carry water. Like I'm not carrying water for anybody. You need to carry Hi. your own water. My daughter learns like, are you bringing that? Are you bringing that? You are going to carry right. it. I'm not carrying your stuff. I know you're four, but listen, little girl, right? I could drop yeah. that any moment. Nobody knows when they're right. going to go. That's look, right. You need to learn right. to carry, be responsible. Yeah. Absolutely. And it's the proverbial teach them to fish versus give them a fish. And we've got to do that with even our clients in the workday. I like to equip my clients so that they don't always need me. If they need mm -hmm. me, they can pick up the phone and call me, but mm -hmm. I'd rather educate you so you can do it on your own because guess what? I love long-term clients, don't get me wrong, but I don't want to be their answer for forever. I want to right. equip them uh -huh. to know where to get the information, not to be a senior HR professional or anything, but to know enough to know when you don't really need me mm -hmm. and being able to make them autonomous in some way. So what would you recommend to someone who's starting out and struggling either they're starting out with a new business or even someone that's trying to juggle it all i think education is so important daryl in here in the u.s we have an organization called score and it stands for way back in the day right when it was first launched back then i think it's the 60s oh goodness i just went service core of retired executives now oh. i'm a volunteer for this organization and i am far from retired but these individuals and now of course those that aren't retired can give back and be part of this organization and its goal and mission is to educate up-and-coming entrepreneurs with the experiences of those who have gone before them. So I think that was a huge piece of education for me. I attended the first class. I was a client first, and then I immediately resonated with their mission and became a workshop presenter. And I share the HR world with the up-and-coming entrepreneurs, right? So that piece, that education, you've got to know what you don't know, taking the inventory like an honest gut check, look in the mirror and say, what don't I know? And then get the skill sets, get the education, get the information from the experts that are out there. SCORE is one of them. I'm a big believer in the public library podcast. This avenue of information is gold, right? To be able to sit in a car for 30, 45 minutes if you're commuting and or taking your morning walk for 30, 45 minutes and be able to pop something in and educate ourselves. That's mm -hmm. a game changer. I come from the encyclopedia era where you had an, a, a question, go get the P for profit. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and just, we have it at our disposal and our fingertips. My husband and I always joke, if you don't know something, there's definitely some eight-year-old on YouTube willing to teach you, right? There's no reason we shouldn't know what we don't know. So I would say that's the first thing. Take an honest inventory. What don't you, what do you need to sharpen your saw on and get the education, whether it's a podcast, a library, a book, these organizations that are out there, nonprofit. I can get to these workshops. Come on. Why wouldn't you take those opportunities to learn? Okay. That makes, that makes, that makes really good sense. So maybe can you talk a bit about what you do now and some of your yes. company goals? Sure. So like I mentioned, I've been in business now to be 12 years, August 13th this year. And we started a lot heavily in the consultation. Thank you. Yay. <laughs> I'll take those claps. They can't see you, but they're clapping. And now if I am looking to make the change that I'm trying to make, which is reducing the statistic that says employees, 60% of employees are leaving their companies because their manager's bad behavior, right? Think about that. 60% of the employees. Now, if I stay to the consultation model, which I love everything about human resources, some people call me 
crazy, but so be it. <laughs> I'm crazy. I love HR. But if I stayed with the consultation model, it would take me forever to make the impact on that statistic that I need to make. One right. company. So we're shifting into a human resources and management training model. That's all of the training and development. That's, you know, where you mentioned the complete manager makeover. It starts with the curriculum and where you have a membership to coach and to support managers, people managers, right? Not just HR managers, and also provide the book as almost a desk reference as well, so that we can really address this need and equip managers to treat their employees in with the soft skills that are so necessary. So that's the shift. It's gone from consultation. I think I'll always have my hands in the pot of consultation, mm -hmm. but I can't change that statistic on a global massive scale. And I'll just focus on U.S. for now, but I can't change that statistic in the U.S. one by one. I've got to really get the message out, get the curriculum out, get managers trained right before they get that wonderful managerial title, which is the ideal, but often not the case in mm -hmm. the corporate sector. Right. Isn't that called the Peter principle? You get promoted to your highest level of incompetence. Hey, you're exactly. a great sales rep. Let's make you a sales trainer. Hey, you're a great sales trainer. Let's make you a sales yeah. manager. Hey, you are a terrible sales manager. So let's just leave you here because we don't mm -hmm. want to demote you and you suck at this role. So you're just yeah. going to stay there. And, and that's the challenge, right? It's like equip them before. I'm a huge believer. You mentioned National Management Training Week. This is a week that is focused on ensuring that companies and organizations take time to focus on their management training initiatives, whether it's conducting training, launching a succession planning, doing a job shadow mm. week, do something, right, during that week, which is the third full week of August annually, do something to address this need to train your managers. And so we deliver content throughout that whole week, all virtual at this point, so that we can equip the people managers in the information that they need to manage the most important aspect of a, a business, the human element. So uh, That's powerful. That's really powerful. Yeah. I wrote yeah. down succession planning because I think that's, yes. a, that's an important one too. So what Very are some so. biggest mistakes that you see your clients and managers making? So I think my clients, that lack of knowledge is dangerous, right? In the human resources world, when you don't know what you don't know, you could risk your business and its entirety due to fines or fees or penalties that can be pretty costly and could tank a small business. So not to know some of the fundamentals in the employment arena, the employment law, the HR stuff, that's a huge risk that I think business owners take from a client perspective. It's always scary to me when I go into a client and they don't know some of the like 101 things that they're supposed to do when they hire even one employee. There's several federal laws, even if you have one employee and they just don't know, nor have they, like we talked earlier effort to get that information, get mm. that training, get that knowledge, right? And then I think for the managerial pieces, what you asked, there's so many <laughs> mistakes that managers make. Favoritism, giving work to the high performer that the low performer isn't able to accomplish, right? That's instead of holding the low performer, the underachieving performer accountable and coaching and training and taking the time to either get them there 
or realize they're not the right fit. That takes time and effort. But sometimes I think we say, okay, I use the typist model in my training. It's okay, Jane Doe is doing the typing and she's not finishing her typing within the time frame, but we need to get it done. So we give it to Joe Doe, who's doing a great job in this and that. Well, are we rewarding for performance? Yes, mm-hmm. because we're taking it off their plate as opposed to coaching, counseling, and encouraging. Mm-hmm. So I see that a lot. I see that a lot in the world of work, but I, I could, we could have a whole nother hour in just the missteps. <laughs> that manages. Uh. In fact, I have an ebook on it <laughs> on my website. So it, there's several different things that managers can do that can really cause some dissension in the ranks and challenges and risk their being trustworthy as a manager. That's the bottom line. That's a fundamental. You've got yeah, I, love, I, I hadn't thought of that. I We use something in my team called the three key metrics. I actually got it from talking with management when I first signed up with Infusionsoft years and years uh-huh. ago. Um, I used to be at their office all the time. And uh, so the three key metrics is where for each either employee or department or role, you define three things that would describe world-class at that. And then you... Mm weekly one-on-ones and that you either score the individual or you score the department. And what yeah. I found how it's been helpful for me is that they give a score, you give a score, or their manager gives a score. But if there's a difference, you talk about why is there a difference? You know, yes. what's good, what's bad about that? And what I found with that is I remember I had one staff, I'm not going to say her name, but she was in right. a role. And then I met up with the manager and the manager had changed the definitions. So this person right. could score over eight, because that was the goal to get everyone over eight. And I had to tell her, I was like, hey, benchmark isn't there. So we move it to make other people feel good. What happened is that when I started in, hey, you can't make it easier. So this person gets by. I know you want them to be employed in that. But if the company doesn't do well, like nobody gets paid. What ended up happening was, is we started holding her to that standard and she was not performing. But what we did is we identified her strengths, put her, moved her to a new role. And then she was consistently getting nines and tens. But every week. Absolutely. That was, that was an objective way to do that. And I, I really like that method because before as, as an employer, when I'm happy, I love my team. When I'm not happy, I don't love my team. What's the win like today? You know? Like, yeah, exactly. Exactly. And that individual that you mentioned changing the scores, that's exactly why I do the trading that I do. Nobody has equipped that manager potentially to have the tough conversation in an agreeable way, in agreeable terms. So that, like I always say, every employee walks out of a manager's office with their dignity intact, right? We've got to have the Mm -hmm. tough conversations. Mm -hmm. They need to know when they're underperforming. They need to know if they didn't get the promotion and why, right? And how can they be equipped to get it the next time? But nobody's really training and giving them those skill sets so that they're confident to go into those conversations to say, hey, Jane, Joe, you're not performing here. Let's walk through some of these things, right? Let's look at what is it? Is it a training issue? Is it a delegation issue? Is it a lack of follow-up? Do they not have time management skills? Are they scatterbrained and all over the place, right? Are they a people person and we're putting them behind a computer, right? Much to your point, they're just not in the right round peg, round hole. And those are the things that I focus on doing with my training, my development, the book. How do I say to someone this area of opportunity, I like to say, not strength and weakness is this area of opportunity so that they're feeling uplifted as opposed to being torn down. Equip them and they won't change the scores. <laughs> you know what I mean? Can you talk a little bit about how you approach employee training and development to help people continue to grow? You already just spoke to it a little bit, but can you go a little bit more like, yeah. like specifics like gap analysis? Is that something that has to be done 
quarterly, annually? Like what are some of the key pillars? Yeah, it depends, right? It depends on what the challenges of the organization. Many times, most clients start with an HR audit, but that's not always all encompassing, right? They may just want to focus on the recruitment and retention piece that maybe is going by the wayside. So it really just depends on where is the organization in their own business cycle, right? Are they a startup? Are they in growth? Are they maybe shutting down? So that's going to depend on what the solution is. But from a training and development standpoint, we tend to see the challenges is pretty universal. It's Mm. the soft skills that are missing. The surveys year after year continue to say it's the behavior, it's the language, it's the way I can't trust them. It's the way that they manage the people. So that's very clear. And so the gap that I've seen after all these years, is those skill sets, the fundamentals, right? The HR 101, because people or managers don't think they're HR managers, but they are. If they have even one direct report, a people manager, the manager of name the department is a human resources manager. And we keep disconnecting these two things. So my model is to really take a holistic approach, train them on the interviewing skills. Yeah, the questions you can ask, don't get your employers in trouble, all those things. But how do we really gauge that that potential candidate or potential employee really can do the job? right? It's not asking, how would you handle, listen, anybody can ace that question, right? It's, I get to pretend for a moment, but being more behavioral and specific, tell me about a time that you had this without giving them the end result that you're looking for, right? If they're not going to get the opportunity, then how do we have that conversation? Training, how do the, how do adult learners learn. Very different than teaching a child. You mentioned you've got a little girl, right? I had children too. Children are going to learn differently. Adults are going to learn vastly differently. So we train a module for that. What do I need to do differently? And how do I evaluate that training? That's because it's effective. Are they getting it? Are they not? After 90 days, are they performing the role and things of that nature? Because I think sometimes we think too, oh, throw them in and let them fly. No, it takes a good 90 days to, to really get acclimated. One of my favorite books that I've ever written, uh, that I've ever read, excuse me, is Michael Watkins' The First 90 Days. It's gold in terms of transition, right? So I take a lot of those elements and put that into the training and onboarding of content of the training module for that. And then that third piece is performance improvement conversations. How do you give feedback? How do you have the tough conversations when you've got to sit there and, as the world says, write somebody up? I'm not a big advocate of the world. We're disciplined. Oh, I've got to give them a disciplinary conversation. No, it's a corrective action, right? You're correcting Mm -hmm. performance. No wonder we see it as such a negative, right? Discipline. Mm -hmm. That's horrible. And then the fourth module is the laws. I remember coming up in my career and everybody, HR said, we got to do it this way. It's not because HR said there's a federal or state law that's mandating the way we do business and the way we treat employees. So it's tying those things and making managers aware. And then the final two really are speaking about the human element, DISC, the model of human behavior, personality types, and how do we manage the different personalities and how do we model or manage ourselves to meet the need of those different employees in our workforce. And then generational diversity, because that's not going away anytime soon. In fact, we're still seeing five generations and some organizations still prevalent in the workplace. That's that human element that we speak to. So 
that's my model. And we see really great results with the clients that we have been able to serve with the complete package of delivery. And they see that now I don't have to change the rating, right? I can have that conversation because I know how to have it. It's still a tough conversation, right? To have, but one that they're better equipped to, to handle. So what are some of the habits that you feel your best clients have in this regard? What are some of the um, regular, think, yeah. Yeah, I think from a managerial training perspective or they're- Oh, individual- people, people bring you in. So people bring you in and they're like, hey, Lisa, help us out. And obviously you see a lot of different businesses, a lot of different yeah. styles. Yeah. What are some of the common denominators? The, like I said, the habits that you see that people are habitually, like for example, yesterday I was talking to a gentleman and he was praising one of his clients for walking around. He said, this guy would show up at work every day. And he had, I forget what it was now, forgive me. Um, but it was some sort of factory or, or manufacturing process. And instead of going from the parking lot to his office, which was right inside the front door, he would actually park, walk to the back side of the building, go in the back door, walk through the factory floor, talk yeah. to everybody on his way to his office. And that was how he started the first 30 minutes of every day. And he would inspect the work being done and everything. And by the time he got to his office, he would have a laundry list of things that, you know, need to be adjusted or what's happening. He was just very in touch. Yeah. Managing by walking around. Yeah. Right. Right. That's why I said he didn't know that term. I was like, you don't know that term. And your client is like the epitome of this. This Yeah. I'm like, yeah. Yeah. So I'm just wondering for you, like, what are some of those? habitual things that you see your best clients doing, whether it's daily, quarterly. Yeah. Thank you for that. And and my head could get really big on this one, but doing what I say they need to do with their team, (laughs) whether it's true, taking the advice that they're paying me for. That's the truth. (laughs) Ding, ding, ding. Right. And actually implementing the suggestions, right. A, A big one is I'm fortunate that many of my clients are about continuous improvement processes, right? So once we lay that, the fundamental HR foundation, right? The HR 101 stuff, right? The compliance, let's get that clear. Being able to then do things that we can benchmark against, employee engagement surveys, doing something with the feedback, not just asking just to ask. Anybody can ask a question, right? But it's doing something with the feedback that we're given, right? How do we take that HR infrastructure to that next level? So it may be training and development. It may be rewards and recognition that need to be tied to the organizational tenants, right? The culture of the organization. I think that's what I continuously see. Once they see uh, the value that the human resources can bring to the table, when they start to tap into what more can you do? What more is there? That's a a great habit to have. What's next? What's next? What's next? And asking that question. What's next? A good one. Yeah. So now where do you think the future of this industry is going. We've got a declining population. There's a lot of people that are, there's AI and automation, there's geopolitical things at play. Where do you see things going in five, 10 years? There's a lot of immigration. Yeah, such an interesting question. There's, oh my gosh, there's just a spaghetti point when it comes to immigration. Do not get me started on immigration. Um, But I think that, COVID has really forced the hand of automation Mm. and forced the hand of robotics. What I've seen in the last two or three years is people know that they can work remote. 
they're insisting and demanding that hybrid workplace, right? Mm -hmm. Organizations have figured out that it actually can be done, right? Things Companies didn't completely shut down, right? Because we had COVID and maybe some did, but not on organizations and what have you. And so there's that insistence and the, I think, more labor intensive roles and jobs are not going to be filled with the traditional worker. And so I think that puts some onus on robotics to step up or not just robotics, but the automations, right? You're seeing more and more kiosks at the hotels, right? To check Mm. you in. You're seeing more and more kiosks at the airport to check you in and just drop your bag and go. So I think that because humans aren't showing up for these jobs, it's forcing the hand of automation and things of that nature. But what I also believe is there are going to be opportunities and jobs for the upkeep and maintenance and creation of those automations, right? Of those tools, of the robotics and things of that nature. So I think it's going to be important that we shift to that information, training, skill set, education, more and more, because that's where the big demands are going to be. I think AI, I've just started to touch the surface on that possibilities, the possibilities there, but I also think that regulatory bodies need to step up pretty quickly so that we're not seeing that chat AI taking over, writing a book or content screenplays and things of that nature, because I think we risk the true creativity that only the human spirit can have. I think that there's going to be this push to all of those automations and robotics and things of that nature, but there will be jobs still in serving that industry, if that makes sense. No, I agree. I'm with you on that. I think the human element, um, actually with my team earlier this year, and maybe I'll start up again, we started our daily huddles. We just always have a 10, 15 minute kickoff because we're working remote in that, but we used to start at reading a few pages, taking turns each reading from how to win friends and influence people because I agree with you because I feel as you talk about as the future becomes more automated, the human skills become more important because that's what's left. If you you go to the hospital and you're in a bed and there's some machine that will auto whatever, then you don't need a nurse to put in your IV and and medicines, but you're still going to need the counseling, human touch. you're not going to want to talk to a screen, even if it looks human, right? right? You're going to want exactly. to like, give me a real person. Exactly. And that's, we're wired for that. So I think that we'll see an increase in that. Look, from the labor market perspective, boomers are getting ready to retire. There's 10,000 baby boomers reach the age of 65 per day right wow. now. That's wow. the statistic, wow. 10 thousand and so when we start to see them aging and this is the biggest population right 80 million people and so there's going to be a lot of need in that caregiving space right in the what whether it's mind body or soul (laughs) right that care for this aging population so i think that's going to be a huge shift that we start to experience because Mm -hmm. you can't replace the human connection. That's just, it's irreplaceable. Yeah. Can it write a book? Probably. Can it write an ebook? Sure. Can it write a script for a movie? Sure. But can it really put mano a mano on someone and give a hug or or, that's not going to go away. Looking at each other in the eyes and resonating and speaking about the highs and lows of the day or whatever it is when we're caregiving and taking care of the mental health and wellness that's not replaceable. So I think Mm -hmm. we've got to start to look at that, but also how are, how do 
how does the work first meet the need that's going to be coming in in all of those areas right so, yeah some people where i knew were very alarmist about yeah and i think that there is room for with people like elon musk that say that it could be cataclysmic but also at the same time i've like david deutsch he's a quantum physicist out of england and he's written mm. a great book called the beginning of infinity and they mm. talk about like the turing test and these things they're supposed to test ai and determine real AI intelligence. And the from what I can ascertain based off of the leading experts, not just in quantum mechanics and sorry, quantum computing and software development, but really what we have right now is a very fancy calculator. It's, it's not self-aware per se in the same way. You can converse with it and it statistically gives you what's the most likely response based off its database and that. I think it's related to, and this is just my opinion, but I think it's like when calculators came out, we had bookkeepers and accountants, and before they used to have to crunch the numbers themselves, then we have calculators. And now the productive ones are more productive and the not so productive ones have lost an excuse to take so long to get their work. And right. I think that's partially what's happening here with a lot of these AI tools. And I think, like you said, it's streamlining things, but people don't realize that we're already cyborgs. You and I are not talking together in the same physical location. I don't right. know if anybody didn't know that. But that doesn't actually, make us cyborgs, though. Right. We are cyborgs. <laughs> we are cyborgs. They're just not attached to our body. I'm speaking mm. to a microphone right now that's condensing my voice, putting it into yeah. the internet, sending right. it cables. The internet is not like Wi-Fi. The internet in the world are cables through the ocean. Go from right. continent to continent. So it's taking right. my voice, compressing it, putting it into the internet, sending it over to you where it's uncompressed. Right. So we're already cyborgs. It's just not embedded in us in different ways, so to speak. Like we're still our sovereign humans. And so I think the point I'm trying to make is not many people are walking everywhere they go. 100% of the time we take boats, planes, trains, mm -hmm. buses, drive. Yeah. This is another right. way we've enhanced our human animal. And so I think that nobody's mm -hmm. complaining that, oh, there's no trolley. There's no, the guy that used to ride his horse pulling a cart behind him every day back and right. forth taking kids to school he doesn't have a job now he rides a bus and it drives a right. bus and that bus right. can fit 30 50 kids in there so it's like right. that like i don't think yeah it's industrial revolution right it's the next industrial revolution you know that's period right. that's right. what's happening and that's what we're seeing so right. it's so funny though because when zoom was all the rage during covid i was like what do you mean you don't know how to use Zoom? I've been using it for maybe two, three years prior. Yeah. And that was just my way of work I, because I've been remote my entire business cycle. And I, I just didn't know that they didn't know. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I get it. I've been working remote since 2014. And yeah. people are freaking out about little as details. I, I, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I thought that was pretty interesting, but that's with anything, with any change of a mass scale. And I think that's, COVID was devastating, don't get me wrong, but mm -hmm. I think the beauty, right? I like to see the positive in anything and everything is that the world of work did in fact see that you don't have to commute 45 minutes to show yep. up to an office to get the same work done, right? Yep. It, it is now granted, some will take advantage of that. Some won't, right? Some will be less productive. Some will be more productive because of that flexibility. But I think it was long in coming. Listen, I was writing, what did they call it back then? Uh, not remote work. I think it was, it's not remote work. I was actually looking it up the other day. I was like, this is not new remote work policies. We were doing this way back in the nineties. We just called it something, this commuter policy commuter something. I'm going to figure it out. 
But it's like, I just pulled that sucker out and was like, okay, let's update this because yeah. they doing it then very few were doing it then but we were doing it then i'm thankful that the world has seen we can be just as effective nothing's better than having a one-on-one and being meet and greet over coffee in real time but we still can connect and we still can get things done we can still have meetings and conversations and not have to pollute the world with gas and automobile exhausts and stuff like that i think that's a positive thing you know I wanted to, I want to pivot now if we could, what else, because obviously you're helping people with their HR, but you're also growing your own business for multiple years. And so yeah. how is 12 years? There's a lot of different cycles to go through there. 12 years now, I guess it would have been just after 2008 that you started, you said, right? What year was it? 11, 2011. 2011. Okay. Yeah. Can you speak to that? What's some of the best advice that you got in terms of growing a business and being, it's great that you've got the HR yeah. skills, but you still got it. You got kids to feed. For sure. I always use this kid. There's not somebody behind the fake wall here saying, right. yeah, go play with your business, honey. No, we're living off this gig. I think the best advice I have received and that I implement on a regular basis is reference to decisions in my business. They always say you're one decision away from a negative outcome or a positive outcome. And I believe that any decision that I make must align to where I'm going in my business. So Mm. I'll give you an right. If it doesn't align with the direction that I'm heading, then the answer is no. So I'll give you an example. A few years ago, I was offered an opportunity to be a board member of an organization and the time that it would have taken away from my business, because I don't believe in doing something and not giving 110%, just And so I'm very inquisitive of what's the time spent, what are the expectations? So I know if it will or won't align with the time that I have to give, because I always believe in community service and giving back. But at the time in my business, it was probably about five or six years ago. I'm still really laying some fundamental strategies and just hitting the mark on some of the business plan targets that I had in place. So it was all coming to a head and I was busy. So I, I had to say no to that opportunity. Why? It didn't align with where I was heading in that season of my business. And I do that all the time. When a new technology or provider comes up and it's like, hey, shiny object here, look at me. I take a a good look and I say, is this aligned with where I'm going today, in the next quarter, in the next year, in the next five years? Because it might meet something in the next three months. Maybe I have to find the technology to do whatever I need it to do. But that technology is going to lead me to where I need to be in five years because I need that to get things done to set up my membership portal or whatever it is, right? And every decision that's made, does it align with your plan? If it's not, it's just a shiny object and say no to that opportunity or that technology or that even people reach out on LinkedIn all the time, right? Hey, I've got this and I've got that. Or would you be interested in this and that? And I'm like, that is nowhere in my business plan. Um, so I say, thank you for your interest in wanting to work with us. But at this time, our needs are being met and we don't have that need. I have to say that because they're just interested in doing what they love to do, just like we are. So being able to close that and say, no, it's not aligned. I think that's the best advice I've ever received that I put into place for decades in my professional life. I agree with that. I don't know where I first heard it. I'm forgetting. I'm drawing a blank and I know I'm going to badly paraphrase this. 
but it was like the three plus one or something like that. And it was like, you can have one goal for health, one goal for wealth, one goal for your personal life or love life. And then there's the devil's vortex. And every day you, uh, you wake up <laughs> and you've got the list of things that you need to do. You line the to-do items on your list under each goal. And if right. it doesn't fit under goal one, goal two, goal three, it goes under <laughs> the devil's the vortex. Devil's and that's, right. the, you just ignore it, delegate yeah. it. Yeah, that's Delegate they, it, yeah. No, I have, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. I was going to say, this is more of a, this is actually really a question for me. Obviously, most of the time I do these interviews, it's for the audience. This is a personal question because you're dealing with a lot of companies and obviously their HR and that. I'm curious to know more about the buying cycle and signing these people up as clients. Now, obviously, yeah. if it's a small business owner, they can just write a check and sign up. But when you're dealing right. with larger entities and that, obviously in the time, there's a whole buying cycle. There's a procurement department. There's, there's seasons to it. Can you yeah. speak to that a little bit if someone's trying to get higher level enterprise clients? Yeah. So I think, again, it depends on where they are in their business cycle. From an HR perspective, if it's a Fortune 100, Fortune 500, which I have had a few of those clients, right? Then it depends on where they are. So for example, Virgin Hotels, new hotel division of the Virgin brand out in 2011 or what have you. I happen to know the CEO had worked with him before. He needed HR now, right? So it was Three months, signed, sealed, delivered, done. He's also a very high driver personality. <laughs> so I don't know that I have found anything that says this is the norm, right? Mm -hmm. What I have seen is who is it that's making the buying decision and what are they out for? So for example, a high driver personality, it's how are you going to help me get things done? What Here are my goals. What do you do? that can help me get my goals done. Speaking to that, buying persona, if you will, gets the proposal done a little bit faster, right? If I'm not sure how I do that, but I just wanna show you the benefits and features and this and that and the other, guess what? That's not gonna get the sale. So I think it depends. Now, if you're going into government, get ready for six months to nine months. <laughs> <I'm a> <laughs> right? right? I do some work with government entities and things of that nature, six to nine months out, out of the bat easy but i think it has more to do with how important and how urgent, urgent is it yeah. and I, I always ask the question when are you looking to implement this i once waited two years for a client to make a decision to hire me for their hr support two years that person that individual company has now been a client for three years so it, it's just about what are you willing to wait i think sometimes we fail to get the client commitment because we fail to follow up and i'm not saying ah, be a, huge yeah i'm not a I'm, listen you, you know where i am when you're ready i'll check in quarterly or something like that but i'm not gonna so are, are you ready are you ready are you ready are you, i think that can turn people off especially depending on who that personality is too mm -hmm. this particular client was just one that i knew was going to take a long time it was in their personality to to not make quick decisions that kind of thing so I just waited it out and when they were ready. So I don't know that I've seen any formula. I just think it depends on how quickly are they looking to implement or start and be honest with that. Where are you in your buying journey, right? Or is this a 2004 initiative? Are you looking to do something before end of year? Get that realistic expectation so that then you're not disappointed when it's six months later and they're not even at the RFP 
stage. <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? I like transparency. You know? Yeah, fair enough. No, I think that's really powerful. And it speaks to a lot of people always, I, again, I don't know where they came from, but a lot of sales issues can be solved with more prospecting. <laughs> Instead of trying to beat up a, a someone that's taking time to decide, because people don't buy, what is it? People buy when they're ready to buy, not when you're ready to sell. So exactly. instead of trying to pressure someone in that, go get some new deals. And Absolutely. Um, Find the ones mine, that are immediate. Yeah, he goes by the philosophy of always being oversubscribed. So he doesn't stop. Mm. Remember, I told you before we hit record, one of my favorite words in the English language is the word until. So until. a good friend of mine, and he's he's pretty well accomplished. He When he does things, he doesn't stop until he has a waiting list. He goes until because he wants that demand, that dynamic and that real scarcity. He's like, I'm just going to keep going. If And obviously you can't control it. You do a promo. You don't get, you know, the people, you know, right. you want to make 10 sales, but you only have five showing interest. But generally speaking, he will keep driving as best as he can until. Absolutely. And hey, we've got extra people. That real but scarcity. Con- a constant. Yeah. And that's what we're doing right now. I didn't mention this earlier, but that's what I'm doing with my speaking stages, right? So the only way I could do the con- consultation and get the companies one by one, which will take me forever to reduce that statistic. Right. So I'm, I'm getting on speaking stages so that I can share national management training week. What are we doing? Create that awareness, give them the tools to do something during that week, all the mm-hmm. things. And that, that signature keynote is the subtitle of the book, transforming the human in human resources. It's a registered trademark to us. And that's what I do with my speaking, right? It's finding the next one. When are you, when is your conference? What are you doing? Here's the opportunity that I have that can meet, that can serve your audience, all of those things. So we've got 300 in that arsenal, Mm -hmm. if you will, and we're adding to it all the time. So that point being what you just said, prospecting is so important. While I'm waiting for the conference in 2024, there's one probably in October of 2023 that I might be able to, you know, cop. So it's, it's about that, you know, where are you when you're buying? Put them in the category, follow up, continue to stay top of mind, serve them in different ways, right? Whether it's an article that was of interest, an update in the field or the industry that you serve that they might be able to know, right? Stay connected, but don't always be, oh, have you decided yet? There's other ways to serve your potential clients Uh, so that you're top of mind. Fair enough. I really appreciate that. I think that's good. I think that's great advice. This is a great topic. I've got a couple pages of notes. People listening may want to go back and listen again and write down some more, make sure that they got all the goods from this. Lisa, I know you got a big family. I know you got a big following. I know you got a lot. So I really appreciate you bringing your time here. I appreciate you inviting me. Was there anything that I didn't ask you that I should have asked you? I don't think so, but if anybody's interested in connecting with me, I'm all over social media, right. uh, hblresources.com or hblresources. You can find me there and the complete yep. manager makeover is out there. Find me, follow me. And if I have an opportunity to serve anyone out there in your listening audience, I'm happy to do so. Perfect. Yes. So everyone that heard that, go check out hblresources.com. Go find Lisa P.E. R-E-Z, Lisa Perez on social media. Check out her LinkedIn. Go get a copy of her book. It's the bestseller from US, USA Today, The Complete Manager Makeover, Transforming the Human and Human Resources. Uh, she's got a great, impressive new site. Definitely worth checking out. Again, Lisa, I just really value your time coming here and sharing with us. And again, I thank you so much. And hopefully we'll do a follow-up. So I'm going to make 
one correction, though. Uh, oh, the USA, right. I am a USA Today bestselling author. It is under a different title. Oh, uh, okay, the, okay. The, uh, the Younger Self Letters, that is the one that put me on the USA Today list. We hope to get the CMM, the Complete Manager Makeover on it, but that is the title that actually made the list and made me a bestselling author. So I just wanted to clarify that for your that, audience. That's fine. So that's even more incentive. If you're a follower of me, go get her book. Let's go make this a bestseller. Obviously, you've heard her talk. She's got the goods. Go pick up a copy, The Complete Manager Makeover, Lisa Perez. Lisa, again, thank you so much. It's been an honor. My pleasure, Daryl. My absolute pleasure. It's an honor. Thank you.